Yo, this is Sam's Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, February 16th, 2017. How's everybody feeling today? I'm doing all right. It's actually, the weather's kind of nice down here in Austin, Texas right now. Um, I want to thank uh, Don Kenyon for uh, the new theme music. Um, trying out some theme musics. Don is a wonderful guy who uh, uh, puts together some tracks and some beats that I met at a um, a wedding a couple of months ago. Really, really great guy. He's been giving me some great stuff. I'm trying out some of his stuff. Uh, I like it. It's it's kind of interesting, and uh, I think it adds a little bit of a flair to the show. And uh, so that's the um, that's the opening uh, theme music that you heard at the top of the podcast today, and uh, hopefully you'll be hearing a little bit more of it, and uh, maybe we'll try a few other tracks that he sent me. Uh, he's got some good stuff, and um, so I want to give a shout-out to Don, and uh, you know, once we figure out a track that uh, is really sort of the go-to theme, we'll start using that for every single show. Um, but uh, anyway, so uh, this is actually the first podcast I've done by myself in a while. Uh, uh, for those of you who are pretty constant listeners, you'll know that I've been having uh, my buddy Shaka Shervington on the show for a long time now to pretty much go through the entire NFL season. I mean, we were doing a pretty strong, solid Sam Sports podcast once a week uh, as we progressed all the way from week one straight through till the Super Bowl, which was one of the craziest games I've ever seen. Um also, for the listeners out there, I'm sure you guys uh, probably have heard, I did go to the Super Bowl. I went to the Super Bowl with my brother-in-law, uh, Aaron Ringle, who was really gracious enough to get us tickets. He was the one who who knew a guy who was able to get us tickets. Not only did we get tickets, we paid face value for them, which, listen, face value for a Super Bowl ticket up in the nosebleed section was still $900 a ticket, but that's better than the three, four, five, six thousand, seven thousand, ten thousand dollars $7,000, $10,000 that I think some people were we're talking about. So it was a really special opportunity and a great experience. I went there with my brother-in-law. I went there with my mother-in-law, who is actually a gigantic football fan. It's really kind of funny. My mother-in-law is a huge football fan. My father-in-law isn't. It's a little bit of a reversed gender situation, but either way, um, it was really, really special. And the last person, it was four of us. The last person is my um, my cousin-in-law, his fiance, Kelly, who is a gigantic Patriots fan. And I got to say, that was one of the one of the more special things about going to the Super Bowl was was going with them, but also getting a chance to actually go there with Kelly, uh, being a Patriots fan, and and to kind of see her go from absolute you know desperation and and awfulness at halftime to you know to see her rejoice and be speechless. And at the end of the game, as we're leaving, her being like, "I'm sorry, I have to go back. I just need to see all of this happen. This is such a rare moment." And we just said goodbye. We'll see you later. Um, Anyway, it was a special, special moment, and uh, it was a really amazing thing. Um, but uh, the football season's over. Uh, congratulations to the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. I think Tom Brady's the greatest of all time. I think the Patriots are one of the best-run franchises in football. Uh, I enjoy watching them all the time. And, you know, I think the Patriots, there's a lot of shade thrown on the Patriots. There's a lot of hate that goes their way. But me, Sam Rosenberg, is a strong sports fan and a huge fan of football and NFL football. I mean, I love seeing good sports. And I'm just going to put it out there right now. You know, one of the reasons I might not be super controversial is I don't really take stances too often. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. This is a stance I'm going to throw out there. I don't think the Patriots deflated footballs. 
Uh, if they did, if in fact they did deflate footballs, then my personal opinion is that deflating footballs is something which is being done all across the, the league, and it's just a matter of they were the first ones who actually kind of sort of got caught. Um, you know, I think all across the NFL, every single team is trying to get an edge where they can. And now, I think lots of times we like to confuse the difference between getting an edge and cheating. You know, listen, you know, Bill Belichick drew up this really great formation two seasons ago against the Baltimore Ravens where, you know, they put a tight end on the line and they pulled an offensive lineman off the line so that they could create another eligible receiver. You know, listen, it wasn't against the rules, but it was a little bit of a opportunity where you could see a loophole in the rules. And the very next season, that immediately after the season was over, the NFL rulemakers went to the rule books and changed the rules so that they couldn't do that again. But it was a prime example of trying to figure out a way to gain an edge. And, you know, there's a, there was an article very recently talking about how Tony Dungy and the Indianapolis Colts, I think it was Deion Sanders, who said they used to steal signals from the opposing team. And the reality is that stealing signals is not cheating. It's not against the rules. It's something that has been going on for a very long time. And I mean, just look at baseball. That's why they have, you know, hand signals. That's why, you know, the pitcher covers his mouth when he's talking to everybody else. Although I don't really know if they have lip readers these days. But the point is, it's not cheating to take signals. Just like I think that maybe deflating the football, and I don't think footballs were deflated. I really think that maybe there was a ball that was a little less inflated than it should have been, and it got blown out of proportion. And to go a step further, if this is such a big deal, and this is such an important rule, why weren't there additional checks and balances in place by the league and the referees to prevent this from happening? Because when I started to look at the system of where they track the footballs and where they go and where they're kept, I'm sitting here saying, there's no oversight or regulation really at all as to who's monitoring these footballs. So to get into a situation where you say somebody broke the rules and then to not really have any clear-cut rules to say they broke and no real hard evidence, I just, listen, maybe they did it. Maybe they did it. Maybe they didn't. Uh, my personal opinion is I think they got the short end of the stick. I think they got a bad rap. I don't think, I think that, I think it's easy to hate on Tom Brady and the Patriots just because they're so damn good. Whenever a team or a player gets so damn good, it's just easy to shit on them and hate them. And you know what? Hate, hate, don't hate the player, hate the game. And New England Patriots are one of the greatest franchises and greatest teams I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, I'm a, I, I only wish that my Philadelphia Eagles could be as, as functional as they are. And the Eagles are a pretty functional franchise, considering all the other franchises in the NFL. Let's not get into the Cleveland Browns. So, you know, to see, you know, to see the Patriots do what they do, I mean, to see them come back and win that Super Bowl and to see it real time was, I mean, it was breathtaking. Anyway, listen, I, I've been talking, I just spent the first seven minutes of my podcast talking about football, when the truth is I'm here to talk basketball. The NFL season's over, I want to talk some basketball. The night before I went to the Super Bowl, I was in Florida. So this was my weekend. I flew out to Fort Lauderdale, Florida on Friday, February 3rd to spend some time with my dad and my stepmom. We had a lovely time. Dr. Mark, Lonnie, thank you so much. Had a great time. Spent some time with Steve and Sue, went out and had a good dinner. Um... 
But one of the main purposes of my trip out there, not just to see family, was to also go to a Sixers game in Miami. Way before I had a chance to go to the Super Bowl, my dad came to me and said, hey, Sam, we're going to be down in Florida. Love to go get a Sixers-Miami Heat game. We're going to go get tickets to see them Saturday night, the night before the Super Bowl. So we went out to American Airlines Arena. We've never been there. Uh, lovely arena, by the way. Really, really great. Right on the water. Gorgeous view. Um, and uh, we were hoping we'd get a chance to see Joel Embiid. Embiid, as we know now, you know, for all of the amazing things he's done this season, he's now down with a meniscus tear in his knee. Um, and Jaleel Okafor was going to start the game. He ended up being a late scratch. And uh, we saw the Miami Heat, who, you know, they're a bit of a feel-good story this season. You know, after losing Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh is now done for, I mean, I don't even know if Chris Bosh is ever going to play basketball again. Um, the Miami Heat went on a pretty nice winning streak now, and now they're looking like a team that can pretty much go to the playoffs. Um, and, you know, they went out there and they played a, a Sixers team that was missing a lot of their key people, and and they beat the living shit out of the Sixers. It was a little embarrassing to watch. Just after a while, it, it ballooned to a 30-point lead, and, I mean, it was tough. But I, I bring all this, and I spend all this time to butter us up to talk about the Sixers. So I want to focus on the Sixers because they're my team and I love them, but they've also been really progressing, and there's a lot of things that I want to compliment them on, but I also want to critique them on as well. Um, I'm excited to see the team actually form a bit of an identity now. You know, in the hinky years over the last three years, it was really just letting the team kind of wallow in absolute, you know, horrific basketball. There was no real effort to sign players, no real effort to retain people. I mean, the only real energy that was spent was really just trying to, you know, heal the guys who were young and, and, and promising and then to, you know, just kind of get through the rest of the season and, and try to get over with so they could get to the lottery. And, you know, that's exactly what they did. It was it was a lot of awful basketball. Um, but now we've got a real team, and it's exciting to see the evolution. It's painful now that Embiid is hurt again. Um, but Dario Saric has really been evolving in a positive way. I was really... I was very... Discon it was disconcerting to see Saric at the start of the season. He looked a little out of place. He didn't really know how he fit into the team. You know, he hasn't got a particularly strong shot, but over the course of the season, you're seeing his development. You're seeing he's finding his shot. He's knowing where his spots are on the floor. There was a couple of games ago, I believe he played the Orlando Magic, and he really had a huge bust-out game. I mean, to see his maturation has been very exciting because now I'm starting to really think Saric, you know, and this guy's 22 years old. A couple of years, put on a couple more inches, little bit more, you know, muscle, he's going to be a real dominating presence down low and a threat who can step out to the three-point line. I'm liking what I'm seeing with Saric. And now let's talk about the point guard play. So the point guard play has been a sore spot for the Sixers this last couple of years. Throughout all of these hinky drafts, you saw him bring in this glut of big men, which is something I'm going to get to when I start talking about how the organization's been run. Um, so there has been this logjam of Nerlens Noel, Jaleel Okafor, Joel Embiid. You know, they got these big guys, always had a void at the point guard spot. You had Isaiah Kanan. They went and picked up Ish Smith. Uh, I mean, and then, so finally, Brian Colangelo goes and gets Jared Bayless over the summer, and he goes and he brings Sergio Rodriguez over from Spain, uh, from Europe uh, to, be, to fill in that point guard void. Jared Bayless it really doesn't even play a game. I don't even... I, I don't even think he played a single game so far this season. He had a bit of a wrist injury, and then it came out that they're actually shutting him down for the year because his wrist never came back. 
throughout all of this, you saw Sergio Rodriguez show up, you saw him put in quality minutes, and you saw him start to really, you know, give some legitimacy to the Sixers point guard situation. But just like with the maturation of Saric, you saw a TJ McConnell maturation. So one of the names I haven't mentioned is TJ McConnell, who I love my dad, Dr. Mark Rosenberg, and I mean, I don't know if he's ever going to live this down, but as long as I we've been watching TJ McConnell play on the Sixers, he always calls him the D-League player. So he's the D-League player, you know, he's, he's good, he's young, he hustles, but he's a D-League guy. You know, that's the most you're going to get out of him. Well, there's a tenacity and a knowledge of Brett Brown's system that TJ McConnell is really embodying right now. And when he was inserted as the starting point guard at the top of uh, the 2017 calendar year, and you saw the Sixers start to win games, you started to see the identity. TJ McConnell's a tough little guy, and he knows how to play the point guard position. We're seeing this happen. He knows when to get his, his superstars the ball. He knows when he can attack and hit a jumper. I mean, there's a real excitement with TJ McConnell that I like seeing. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the couple of game winners, he's had a couple of game winners now where he's hitting a clutch shot at the end of the game to take the lead by one point. And uh, I mean, considering how desperately the Sixers have been trying to stabilize that part of their offense to kind of find it in this young sort of third string undrafted point guard, you know, has really been you know, quite a revelation for them. And it's exciting to see. It's very exciting to see. Another player who is really evolving and and creating an identity with this team is Nerlens Noel. I mean, something really happened this year. So Nerlens Noel, to start the season, he's injured. You know, so he's, so now for the first time in years, all of these big men are healthy. Embiid's healthy. Okafor's healthy. Nerlens Noel's healthy. So now trying to figure out how to make all of them work is a real-time problem that the Sixers need to work through. Nerlens Noel started the season hurt, and the Sixers sent him down to the D-League because they're like, listen, you know, you get better, and then when you get better, we'll, we'll get you into shape in the D-League, and then we'll bring you up. So when he was finally healthy enough to come up and play minutes for the Sixers, there weren't minutes for him. And of all the Sixers players, he's probably been one of the longest tenured guys. I think Hollis Thompson is the, was the longest tenured Sixer this year uh, until they cut him a few months ago to, to make room for... Timofey Lawawu Cabarro, or TLC as I like to call him sometimes. Timofey Lawalu Cabarro, I think, has actually been playing pretty well as, you know, he's another guy who has been evolving pretty well this season. Is um really exciting to see him. He's got some speed, he's got some ups, but the point is with his development, they decided to cut Hollis Thompson. And I think Nerlens Noel ends up being really one of the longest tenured guys. So he's been going through the dog shit of this process for several years now. You know, if anybody, you know, whereas I think everybody else, you know, listen, even Joel Embiid has been with this organization longer than Jaleel Okafor. They understand what's been going on behind the scenes. They understand what Brett Brown's trying to do. And, you know, for lack of a better word, they understand some of the dysfunction that's been going on in the front office. Nobody knows this better than Nerlens Noel right now. So when he came back and Brett Brown couldn't find enough minutes for him to get on the floor, he was one of the first players to come out and actually talk some shit and actually say, this is ridiculous. This is, this is I'm a great player. I deserve some time. And you guys got to figure out how to get me on the floor. And this is, pardon my friends, this is fucking ridiculous. So kudos to him because it, it sort of was one of the first players kind of coming out and saying, listen, 
I'm a little sick and tired of this process shit. You know, you're either going to get me on the floor or you're going to trade me and I'm going to make a stink. So not long after that, he ended up getting on the floor. He ended up getting minutes. And now there's a chip on Nerlens Noel's shoulder that I have yet to see from him so far in his career. You know, he had the same sort of wide-eyed, youthful approach to the game that many of these other young players have had for the Sixers. Okafor had it last year. You know, Embiid has got swagger. Embiid, God bless him, has got way more attitude than any of these other guys right now. But for a team that has been littered with non-veteran after non-veteran after non-veteran, it's hard for any of these guys to come in with any type of swagger or any type of confidence. So now Nerlens Noel has that. And he called and he went he went public and he started calling out the front office saying, "You guys got to handle this shit. You got to figure out how to get me on the floor. You got to get me off this team." He's been getting minutes and they've been paying off. Sometimes he starts, sometimes he comes off the bench, but either way he contributes on a high level, much more than what he was doing the last couple of years. He's there with the alley-oops. He's a defensive presence. And, and you know, there's just a look in his eye that I haven't seen before. And I'm just excited to see his maturation because he is another piece that sort of creates this identity. You're seeing McConnell. You're seeing Sarich and Noel come off your bench. And now, here are a couple of guys I can't necessarily say you know, they're not development project maturation guys. These are really um, the veterans. Now, the veterans I'm thinking of is Gerald Henderson and Ursan Ilyasova. Now, Henderson, I thought, was one of the nicest pickups that happened because he was. that was a great Colangelo move. You brought in a guy who wasn't just an undrafted nobody who was going to come in for the league minimum and, and you know, just, just go out there and play some a couple of minutes here or there just so the Sixers could reach the salary cap floor. No, Gerald Henderson's a legitimate player, comes in, plays defense. If he needs to come off the bench, he'll do that. If he needs to start, he'll do that. And Ilya Sova... I mean, he's been dynamite. Ilya Sova has been playing serious minutes. He starts almost every single night. He's got a great shot. He's He's got a post presence. I mean, these are the kind of role player veterans that the Sixers, you know, have not had a reason to go get until now. And they're really, you know, shouldering a great deal of the burden for this team. And it's it's a sight to see. I'm excited to see them progress. Now... The thing that's been really unfortunate has been how the team's been handled. I mean, from e- during the hinky years, I hated how the front office was handling PR. I hated how they were spinning things. And now this year, we're getting a lot of mixed messages with injuries. You know, it was it was a deep knee bruise for Joel Embiid. Now we're realizing it's a torn meniscus. You know, it was a sore wrist for Jared Bayless. Now we're realizing he's done for the year. Uh, and and you know. There's, there's been, and now we've got the the Jaleel Okafor drama. You know, they were holding Jaleel Okafor out of games the other day because they were pretty sure they were going to trade him. And now we're sitting here realizing that none of these trades have come to fruition. And uh, if anything, Okafor looks like he's regressing. I mean, which I can't really argue with him at. He's in a really awkward situation. It's pretty much a situation where if Embiid is not playing, he'll play. But if Embiid is playing, Okafor is not going to play because Nerlens Noel has fit right in as sort of the backup guy who comes up off the bench. So Embiid's your starter, Noel's your backup, but you know Okafor has really has no place there. And you know you're starting to see the limitations of Okafor. You know he's got some more development to go, but I mean 
you know, the defense is just not there right now. And I really think that Okafor needs a change of scenery just because this Sixers team, there's too much going on behind the scenes. He's just not fitting in, and it would do them justice, and it would do him justice to move him. It's just, I mean, they haven't figured out a trade partner yet. I don't know if I can really blame anybody for that. If Colangelo's trying to get the most that they can get for him, I mean, I guess he shouldn't just pull the trigger on the first piece of shit deal that comes his way. That's that's my thoughts on the matter. Um, so th- I like what I'm seeing from the Sixers. Listen, until Embiid... Embiid I mean, this guy is the real deal. I, I know it's only been half a season. I know they're not playing him that much, but I mean, I really think he's a bona fide superstar. And when he's on the court, they got a shot. And when he's not on the court, they don't. The other, the last topic I'll say before I get off the Sixers is Ben Simmons. How many times do we need to do this shutdown for the whole year injury situation? Are the Sixers still trying to tank? Are they still trying to get into the draft lottery again? Because right now... I'm starting to get to this point where it's like every time you rest Embiid, every time you sit there and say, you know what, we're just going to wait another month with Ben Simmons, it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, just get these guys on the fucking floor and win some goddamn games. You know, you you ate dog shit for years, you made your season ticket holders pay for a terrible product for three solid years, and last I checked, I have a feeling this Philadelphia is one of the bigger markets in the NBA, and if you look at how the teams make money and don't make money... One of the ways these NBA teams make money, let's be clear here, many of them do not make money. Many of them are simply an asset that is owned by a very wealthy person who owns many other assets and simply says, well, that NBA team took a loss this year and I get to have a tax write-off for the team, but at least I get to go to the club box and watch the game and say I'm the owner. Some of these teams do turn a profit. And one of the ways they turn a profit is by keeping their salary low. When you're not paying the luxury tax because you're the Cleveland Cavaliers and you're paying LeBron and everybody else on that team God knows how much money, when you're playing everybody dirt and uh, the most uh, expensive player on your roster is, you know, Nerlens Noel or Jared Bayless for that matter or Gerald Henderson, yeah, your salary is going to be pretty low and there's a pretty good chance that at the end of the day you're probably going to turn a profit. So as the Sixers have been delivering terrible basketball to you, they've probably been pocketing some of that money. Listen, it's capitalism at its finest. Who am I to argue with it? But I've got some issue when all of a sudden in season four of this rebuilding process, you're continuing to shut down Ben Simmons even longer. It's like, guys, get him on the court. Get him some minutes. Start giving everybody a reason to buy his jersey even more. You know we want to see it. We want to see Embiid and Simmons playing together. I mean, how busted is his foot? Is it really? I know it's a Jones fracture. I know Jones fractures take a while. But anyway, that's just my thoughts on the matter. Let's pivot from the Sixers. Let's go to the MVP discussion. Now, I was listening to some MVP discussion talk earlier today. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion about Russell Westbrook, James Harden. Russell Westbrook's ability to be averaging a triple-double, I think he's essentially on pace to break the record for the most triple-doubles in the season. He's probably going to be one of the first players. I mean, he will be, if, if everything goes to plan, he's going to be like one of the, he's going to be the first player since Oscar Robertson to average a triple-double, which in today's NBA is pretty crazy. That is pretty balls-to-off-the-wall nuts. People don't do that. Then you have to couple it with James Harden, who... Finally, he has a coach in Mike D'Antoni who's uh, actually, you know, catering to his abilities, you know, doing that 
seven seconds or less offense, putting a whole bunch of shooters around him. It's working. And I mean, James Harden's getting triple doubles with 50 points. So these two guys are your front runners, but it's hard to negate the fact that, you know, there's not an awful lot of defense that goes on with those teams, even when they're winning. You know, Oklahoma City is is going to be like the seven or the eight seed. And, you know, it's hard sometimes to... is it Does it become the most valuable player to a team or the most valuable player in general. It's like, listen, you know, it makes me think about what Bill Simmons said when they gave the MVP to Mike Trout uh, in baseball. It's like the Angels sucked, but I guess he was the best player in baseball. And it's sort of like, is it the most valuable player to the team or just the best player in the league? And, you know, that same discussion kind of comes in when we're talking about this because the other players who come into the mix are LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, and I mean, they seem much more viable MVP candidates because these teams are teams that are actually in the mix to be making some noise and possibly winning a championship. Now, it's hard for me to nominate any of the Warriors. I know Steph Curry has taken home the award the last two years for good reason, but it's hard for me to nominate any of them because there's just so many of them. This is the same same discussion with Shaq and Kobe and the Lakers, you know, who is the more important piece Who's, you know, can you say that Kevin Durant has been more valuable than Steph Curry? Can you really say that Clay Thompson isn't deserving of some of this? It's hard when you can, when you're able to spread it out amongst the several players. But, I mean, on the positive side, that probably means they have a better likelihood of winning the championship. It's just that none of these guys might actually take home, you know, the trophy of MVP. I, now, I, I also want to consider Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs are like the Atlanta Falcons of this year's NBA, you know, under the radar, nobody's talking about him, but yet we are the first season without Tim Duncan. And this team is still dominant. This team is still on its way to 60 wins. This team is still killing people. Greg Popovich, not missing a beat. Manny Ginobili, Tony Parker, they're getting older, but they're still contributing. Patty Mills, his game is growing. LaMarcus Aldridge, very, LaMarcus Aldridge is like, I don't I don't know why he's not on the All-Star team. I mean, this team is dangerous and Kawhi Leonard, you know, quietly one of the best players in the league. Quietly one of the most tenacious defenders in the league and it's it's easy to eliminate him from the discussion. My final reaction, my final person though is LeBron James. I I sit here now and I think, why didn't LeBron win the MVP the last four years? Why hasn't LeBron won MVP every single year? Now, yeah, Steph Curry, absolutely. I certainly think Kevin Durant was deserving. But, I mean, LeBron James is still the best player in the league. For whatever you can say about any of these other players, LeBron is in like year 14 at this point, And he's still dominating the league. LeBron now... As, as his Cavaliers team once again falls apart due to injury, Kevin Love's down for a while, J.R. Smith has been down for a while, they've had to trade some people to try to figure out what makes uh, what what's going to work for this team, but LeBron is averaging you know more minutes than he's averaged in years, he's, he's one of the tops in the leagues, his numbers are out of control, I mean, he's not averaging a triple-double, but he's pretty damn close to it. I mean, I think he's deserving. I mean, how many MVP awards has LeBron James really won? Was it one? Maybe two? I mean, come on. And how can you honestly say that you're going to give it to Russell Westbrook, who might, who might you know, be the seven or eight seed, or James Harden, who might be the four or five seed, maybe the three seed in the West, 
These teams might not even make it to the NBA Finals. You know, I don't know if the Oklahoma City Thunder and Russell Westbrook can get to the conference finals. I don't know if that's going to be able to happen. Whereas LeBron James and the Cavaliers, it's pretty undisputed that he's the most valuable player on that team, uh, that he's a big reason why they win every single year. And yet it's almost this, it's almost like the Tom Brady thing. It's sort of like, eh. You know, we all know he's so good. We all know he's won MVP award. Eh, we're not going to give it. It's like, you know, that's fucking bullshit. It's like, if he's the MVP, give him the award. You know, Zach Lowe said this. He's like, every year, we should give Greg Popovich coach of the year, but we don't. You know, and you think about the winners of coach of the year. It's so arbitrary, man. I remember when Avery Johnson won coach of the year for his first year of coaching the Dallas Mavericks to 60 wins. Now Avery Johnson can't get a head coaching job if he if he, if he was willing to bend over backwards and do fucking backflips. So, you know, it really kind of, I don't know, it sort of discounts the merit of the award when you end up just kind of gifting it to someone for some bizarre reason. I just, LeBron James is the MVP. I don't really know if there's a discussion. I can I can understand other people and why you would bring it up, but LeBron James is my MVP. I, you know, you got to present a much better case for somebody else before you start telling me somebody, you know, before you start saying someone else besides LeBron should be taking home that hardware. Um, all right. That's a, uh, that's about all I got. I wanted to yak a little bit about some basketball. Haven't talked about it in a while. Um, hadn't been on the mic by myself in a while. Um, trying to make this podcast thing work. Trying to build an audience. If you liked what you uh, you heard here, please spread it around. Please tell other people to tune in and listen. Um, you can check me out on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Sam's Sports Podcast. Just Google Sam's Sports Podcast. You'll find a hit. There's lots of other uh, services out there that carry my podcast. Like There's like Blueberry and... These podcast services, I mean, they find you, and then they they essentially just link you to their site as well. I don't care, just as long as you're able to tune in and and, uh, and listen. Also, if you can, go to iTunes and write a review about my podcast. That helps uh, circulation and rating for me. Um, and uh, check out my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station. So I got the Sam Sports Podcast. I got the Sam Sports Station. Um, you know, sometimes it's applicable one way or the other, but that's all still me. And I'm trying to trying to build the brand, trying to expand. Hopefully this season, uh, this season, uh, this year, I'm trying to see if I can start a uh, a website. Um, trying to see if I can maybe hire someone to handle my social media because I'm just gonna be honest, man. I don't know if I enjoy social media as much as everybody else does, and it's uh, it's 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 essential to what we do these days: podcasting, publicizing yourself. I mean, listen, 20, 30 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do any of this without social media and, and the internet. So I guess I can't hate it too much, but I'm not a particularly large fan in doing it. I, you know, I, I try to visit Facebook every day and I can't. I just have no interest. It's, it's tough. Um, uh, anyway, I went off on a tangent again. Uh, I, I also have an email address, samsportstation at gmail.com, S-M-A-S-S-P-O-R-T-S-S-T-A-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you have questions... If you want to come on the show, love to have you on the podcast. Love to talk about stuff. I mean, uh, I mean, I just love talking sports. And even if three other people listen, it's an opportunity to talk sports with people and get it out there. Um, anyway, I'm going to sign off for the time being. Thanks for listening. Um, try to come back on soon and talk some more basketball. Hopefully, I'll get Jonathan Hopkins on here to talk about the Spurs a little bit more. Get Dr. Mark back on here to talk more Sixers. 
Um, but in the meantime, everyone, thanks a lot for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm going to be back real soon, and uh, we'll bring back some sports to chat it up with Sam Rosenberg. Uh, that's all I got for today. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.